Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, Sojourn. So so good to be back with you. My name is Gerald Skeeth. And today we're going to talk about everyday rhythms leading and developing to everyday discipleship. So my wife and I lived in India for a good portion there uh, back in the early 2000s. And I want to share with you first the story of Chenna. Now, I don't know if any of you have been exposed to different cultures, different foods, different way of dressing, different ways of living, but this was back when like cell phones were becoming brand new to India. It was a brand new idea. And of course, we had a cell phone um, as we were traveling around the country. Our parents and family and friends wanted to get a, to know where we were and wanted to keep tra- tabs on us. But the cell phone became an instrument of discipleship. And so even the small things can make a big impact. One day, we're sitting in our office and we're climbing around. It was really, really hot where we were living. And it, they, they de- generally take a nap from like two to four because they know it's hot. We had just arrived. We didn't know this. We were sitting in our office, overheated, going, man, we wish we were in a nap time right now because we couldn't even think it was so hot. Well, Chenna used to come in and out of our office and like wonder what we were doing. And she would often clean the floors or or she was part of the, the house helpers in the, the office place there. So she would clean the floors or clean the desk or whatever. And one day, Amy, my wife, hands her the cell phone and was like, do you want to call somebody? And we didn't know her language. She didn't know our language. She spoke Telugu. We spoke English. We were learning Telugu, but we didn't know how to even, even say it. So they're just playing these charades of pointing on the phone, do you want to call somebody? And Jenna's like, yes, yes. And so Amy teaches her how to call a friend, and her eyes lit up, and she just became so excited, like, oh my goodness, this thing works. You know, and so this was the start of a brilliant relationship that led to months later, Amy and I visiting Chenna's village in a rickshaw, which is a little taxi cab in India, multiple hours away, playing charades to get there. We didn't even know where she lived. We didn't know her. they don't have addresses like we have addresses. There wasn't any Google Maps. There wasn't any of that. But this small experience of teaching somebody new a cell phone became a gateway of relationship that later we ended up in her village she killed the only chicken for us. We shared a meal, and kind of the rest is history. But these are some small things that lead to some big, big um, relational discipleship tools. <clears throat> Dawson Trotman, in his book, Born to Reproduce, he was actually the founder of the Navigators, claims it like this, or states it like this. The reason that we are not getting the gospel to the ends of the earth is not because it's not potent enough. 23 years ago, we took a born-again sailor and spent time with him, showing him how to reproduce spiritually after his kind. It took lots and lots of time. It was not hurried. It wasn't this 30-minute challenge in a church service and a hasty goodbye, see you next week. We spent time together. We took care of his problems and taught him not only to hear God's word and read it, but also to study it. We taught him how to fill the quiver of his heart with arrows of God's word so that the Spirit of God could lift an arrow from, from his heart to Christ. He found a number of the guys on the ship, but none of them wanted to go all the way. He came to me after months and months of this, and Dawson, he says, I can't get any of these guys on the ship to get down to business. I said, listen, friend, you ask God to give you one. You can't have two until you have one. Ask God to give you a man or woman after your own heart. And so this is our prayer this morning, is we pray for 
person after our own heart. As we prayed before the gathering this morning, that each one of these chairs would be filled. Well, it starts with prayer for one. So let's go, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're just so thankful for this morning. We thank you for the time together. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word in community. We thank you for each person that you've invited today to gather with us, to share with us, to relate, to share the stories of you together. Father, we do pray. We pray for that empty chair next to us. We pray for the neighbor next door to us. We pray for that child on our kid's soccer team or for that teacher or for that co-worker or for that friend that we would long to spend eternity with. We pray for them. We pray that what I say this morning would give some practical insights on how to engage those people better. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us the navigational tools in your name. Amen. So I'm Gerald Skeeth, the good friend of Matt and Andrea, and he invited me back for some of you that are new. I spoke last time on community. Today we're talking about everyday rhythms and everyday rhythms leading to everyday discipleship. Uh, I work for a mission agency locally here in Portland, and we serve some of the least of these, the unreached in the 1040 window, which is northern parts of Africa and Southeast Asia. So I'm delighted to, to be with you this morning. It's a great opportunity uh, to share. Um, I love how Dawson Trotman says it takes time, lots of time. I don't know if any of you have been on this journey with Matt. We've kind of journeyed with him from the beginning through prayer, through support, through friendship. And it's so much fun for me to see you guys here today because we started in like prayer stage, an infant stage, a baby stage, a dream stage. And now we can share this journey the story with all of you um, but I love that it takes time lots of time there was a season in my life that I was mentoring and training young men um, at, a, at a neighboring church here in Portland and I realized when I went to leadership and I said hey you guys are are doing this one-year gap school I would love to pick the students up after this gap year and really get into what it's meaning to disciple um, in the workplace or in the everyday, right? And I realized that that one year wasn't enough, that they needed two years, they needed three years, they needed four years. And there was young, one young man that uh, we just scratched the surface after that first year. And he's like, Gerald, I'm wrestling with these things. And then I, I, I'm a cyclist, so I tend to take these young men out into the woods and go mountain biking, or we go road biking together or whatever. And we were on this mountain bike trail and we stopped and we looked out of the ravine and he starts uncovering all these other things. And I was like, buddy, I've been with you for two and a half years. We've traveled together, we learned together, we understood each other, I thought. And here we are, yeah, we read the Bible together, like all these things. And there was still, still added things this brother was working with through. And I think that's so often, it's often in our own hearts. My wife and I, we came back from India, I think it was like 2007, and in 2017, we realized we were still unpacking some of the pain. So we had to seek help for that. And so we, this discipleship problem uh, or possibility takes time. It, it really um, saturates in relationship. And uh, um, so today we're asking two questions. What is our role in everyday discipleship, and how can we live out discipleship? Alan Briggs, in his book, Staying as the New Going, suggests that Jesus was sent to earth by his Father to accomplish redemptive work as the great missionary, but he did this by means of incarnation. And I think of, like, even around us, right? There's ways that we can take on and mold the form of Christ into our neighborhoods or into people that we encounter. That's incarnation, right? Sure, when we went to India, I did not wear flannels and rolled up khakis or whatever. We had different Indian gear that we wore. We ate the most spicy food of our lives. <laughs> yes, deli belly is real. We got sick. And so <clears throat> there is some things 
around us here in Portland that are very similar that we would do for context and bringing Christ into our neighborhoods. Um, so that's the idea of incarnation. Jesus put on flesh and lived among the dirty, the sweaty, the mess of humanity. We must be careful not to take on the mission of Jesus without also taking on his incarnational approach. What are the things that our friends around us like to do? And how can we join them in that? Or what are they recreating? Or what are they um, working? Um, I took a tour of a recent corporation downtown that I would never actually work at. But I walked in the building and I was like, holy smokes. This is where all the 20-somethings are. <laughs> there was thousands of employed 20-somethings in this building that I would not even even known if I didn't go and tour that building. And so that's the incarnational approach. Today we're looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open that. I am going to read that for us. But I think that there's, as we read this passage, there's a lot to it. But there's six overarching themes that we're going to extract today. And we're just going to look at them in a broad stroke because each one actually takes time to kind of unpack. But today I'm going to give you the broad strokes. And as you head into Advent season, basically I wanted us to start thinking about what are the things happening in our culture today? What are things that are happening in our families, in our friends today that any one of these six applications from this passage could help us engage and speak that language, and make that connection to Christ. So we're going to read Acts 2, 42 and 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came, open, uh, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who are being saved. What a joy <clears throat> to read that, as always. Um, just the impact that the gospel has. Um, so I'm going to give you these six overarching themes, and then we're going to unpack them. So we have the Word, the Bible, fellowship, community or family, prayer, Shared story or purpose, blessing, celebration, blessing, celebration, and eating. Not my favorite. Amen. I, <laughs> right? Right? How many of us have to eat, right? Everybody, right? So all of us have to eat at some point. And I really do think, I know that you women know this, that it is the language to the men's heart, but I do think it's a language to everybody's heart at some point, right? I don't know about you ladies out there, but uh, my life gets to a certain threshold where I know food is a, is a magical word. Um, so, um, but the word that stood out to me before I kind of introduce and unpack these six is devoted. And I had to dig a little bit deeper because I think we, we might have, like I was talking with a friend the other day about this idea of devoted, and it often feels like the word love, right? I love Pepsi. I love my kids. I love this. I love that. And we were talking with, with one of these friends and like, what does that love word really mean anymore, right? Well, obviously, I don't love Pepsi like I love my kids, right? There's a little bit of difference, you know, or my wife. I love my wife greatly, right? Or I don't love my car and then love my wife. Like, there's, there's just a threshold, right, of, of difference. And this word devoted really stood out to me, and it really unpacks kind of the whole themes. If we are devoted, if we are committed, if we are steadfast, if we are loyal to these habits, 
Imagine what could happen. If we're truly getting down to the root of it, I wish I, I knew the Greek word. I did put it down here, but it's persistent. Like if we were persistent in the habits of what had been exposed here in Acts 2, imagine what could happen. And we actually see the result. I'll share the impact because it, it's in a couple verses prior, the impact of this passage of what we really do see what happened. But we're going to cover, uncover what a commitment, what a persistent, what a steadfast nature of each one of these six are. And then <clears throat> we'll share the impact. So the first one is the word. In verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We, we as a family have been memorizing 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-bred, useful for reproof, correction, and, and teaching, right? Teaching and correcting. There's something powerful about God's word. When we come together and share it, it really establishes the conviction of truth. So much of our society today, and even in our own uh, circles, I'm sure, like, live out your truth. Bring about your truth, your perspective, your attitude, your understanding of things to the table. Well, if you listen to just Gerald's understanding, trust me, you'll probably be in trouble. I, I often refer to, to my life with, as, so my wife and I have been married almost 20, 20 years plus, and I often say that my wife has saved me from jumping out of the airplane without a parachute many a times. And it's probably true, probably more than even I know, where she's in the background either praying or saying, oh boy, put, put the skids on. So if you listen to just Gerald's truth, it's, it's going to lead you astray. It's going to lead you down a path that might be just a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> it might put you on a bridge in Nepal on a motorcycle, teetering among two caverns going, oh my goodness. And it has. Um, but there's something special about God's word as it being corrected, as it's useful for correcting, training, reproof, and training in righteousness, training in truth. Right? This means an earnest personal intake of God's word daily is essential for our spiritual health and our growth. As God speaks to us through the scriptures, we learn how to obey him and apply the gospel to every part of our lives. Growing up, we used to have these family prayers and I remember for hours my mom praying over every detail of our life. Safety of the car, say, like provide food, like every detail. And, and I grew up with four brothers, so there's six boys and my poor mom. She's a saint um, just by default. <laughs> and then you add us into the picture. But she would pray and pray and pray for every detail, asking God to bring about right way through that whole process of the next day. And I remember getting so drained about it. But it's really true. It's really true that we are thankful for safety, even just driving over here from the west side. We are thankful for food on our tables. We are thankful for friends. We are thankful. And we learn about those things through the word. We also come to know Jesus personally and find his worthy or his steadfast allegiance to us, right? God is pursuing us all the time, initiating, initiating, initiating. There's a song by Toby Mac when he's talking about his, his, his son actually um, uh, died at 21, and it's just such a, a powerful, emotional song, but Toby's talking about his son uniting with the father, and how the father is running after him like the prodigal father that we hear in the story of the prodigal son, right? Just unashamed, running after us. And we learn about this through his word and through community. We share that, right? Together, Matt has insights that I can learn from. 
or Ben has insights that I can learn from, or any of you, right? So we share that in community. Oftentimes we read our Bible as a family at night, and it's so rich time for us when I hear my kids share the things that they are learning from His Word. It's so impactful. Um, because it's, it's, it's great. Like when we read a verse and, and think that we have an understanding of it, but then the insights and the insights of our kids and those around us are so powerful. So the first one is the Word, the Bible. We need the Word as the foundation moving forward, moving every relationship centric around that. The second is fellowship or community. Again, in verse 42, they weren't just hanging out with the apostles. They weren't just having a good time eating, breaking bread. They were in the word and in community. So that community is very important. Fellowship. God has directed and designed Christians to build each other up through interdependence and loving relationships with each other. This interconnected life, life on life is how I refer to it, that we know each other. Like this young man that I was discipling took two and a half years for us to be in the wilderness out on a mountain bike to really hear the heart of what he was struggling with. Ben and I have hung out, and he barely knows what I've struggled with. He's like, Gerald, you have all these things going on. Your life is chaotic. But we're still learning that. I often mimic this relationship to the dating relationship. For any of you that have, have pursued a partner or, or, or um, yeah, or have been, had a dating relationship or married relationship, it all starts somewhere, right? Where, you're, where I, I, I jokingly refer to it as the wink across the bar. For Amy and I, it was the wink across the computer room. Back in the day, they had the box computers, and you actually had to go to a computer lab, and we were typing, and all of a sudden, that instant, hey, I think you're good looking, or whatever. I don't remember what it was, but it was like, hey, do you want to hang out? And, and, uh, and so that's how our dating relationship started. But it's, to me, it's, there's things that we unpacked from that initial time to a length of time together in community where it's really starting to uncover who we are. And I think that was what they were really pursuing in this. It's not just, hey, we're hanging out, we're having a good time. No, it was how together can we pursue Christ. I love how Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And I just think it's a very timely passage for where we're at. We're often like, oh, maybe we should hang out, maybe we shouldn't hang out, maybe we should go to someone's house, maybe we shouldn't go to someone's house. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Like all the things now that we have to kind of filter through. And, and granted, I, yeah, this is not a, a, an either or for me at this stage. It's how do we care for those that we want to hang out with well? And whether the day is drawing near, as in the end times or Jesus coming back, the day is drawing nearer for all of us today. Because I am closer to the grave today than I will be tomorrow, or yesterday, right? And every day as it ages and ages, I become closer to the end of the time that I have on this earth. And I look at my neighbors the same way. I say, God, whether you're coming back to rescue all of us today, or whether my neighbor dies in a car wreck tomorrow, or my friend, or my coworker, the day is drawing near. Matthew 18, 20 says it like this. Gathering together as the body of Christ draws God close around us as we praise him and encourage one another. I don't know about any of you, but this has been a season in my life where I've really valued encouragement. I am a people person. I love people. 
I know that a lot of people have, have put out memes or whatever that, that uh, this has been an introvert's paradise. You know, the last two years I can lock myself in a room and I can work from home or whatever. For me, it's been the opposite. I need the encouragement of people. Just being in, in a room with people brings joy to my heart. It really brings a lot of energy to me. Others may not be that way, but I've noticed that being isolated or in a cubicle or in my house for a lengthy part of time is not a good thing for me. And so I love to hang out and be in encouragement as well as being encouraged by others. So we have the word, we have community, we have prayer. I love prayer. The idea of listening, listening forward and listening backward. I often say that discipleship is a two-way two -way, um, uh, path, that we have to be discipling forward and backward. We have to listen forward and backward, and prayer is, is that pathway. Prayer is the natural response to God as we hear him speak through his word. It is sharing our heart with the one who longs for companionship and who cares about our concerns. Prayer not only trains our hearts and minds to know the power and the glory of God, but it also turns his ear toward action in our lives. I don't know about any of you, but when I travel by myself, I long to come home. There's things my kids grow. Even though they may not have grown, they look like they've grown. Their voices change. My wife, I long to just at least say, hey, how was the last 10, 11 days I've been gone? And I think this is the same pursuit that God has with us. That he wants to know our hearts. He longs for our companionship. He wants to know deeply how we are feeling, how we are uh, being cared for, what's on our mind, the stresses, the anxieties. My kids and I love Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And many, many times this last couple of years, the kids have said, Dad, I'm anxious. I have to, I have to do X, Y, Z at school. Or I have to, to be careful about <clears throat> COVID restrictions or mask updates or any of that that has caused, caused anxiety. And I love just that verse of saying, okay, we are anxious. In fact, we go through this, this whole kind of pain to peace cycle is what we call it in our house. This is how I'm feeling, my normal response. So if I'm anxious, my normal response might be angry. What does God say about that? And how can I respond differently? And I love this passage in Philippians, how it takes us through that process. Be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. And then later on in verse 7, it says, To guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So powerful. We want our hearts to be guarded. We want our minds to be guided, guarded. And we do that through prayer. And I love how prayer connects us to each other. Right? All this aspect is in community. It's overlapping. Oftentimes, my kids hear my heart when I pray. Or those around you hear your heart when you pray as you connect to Christ. Galatians 5, 16-24 says it like this, Jesus listened to God in prayer to know his Father's will. We will listen to God through the gospel. We are now aware of our ongoing need for him. We listen backward by regularly interacting with God's word, the story in the sun. We also listen forward to hear what God is saying to us today. 
In today's world, everyone is listening to someone or something as the primary voice or voices that submit their lives to. I don't know about you, but I, I wrestle with this, friends. Normally, I wake up and I grab my phone. <laughs> it's the first reflex. I used to train myself. I call it reflex to Christ. My training was, oh, I'm going to grab my Bible first thing in the morning. And my wife's a way better example of this than even I. She will grab her Bible first, have her devotions, then work out. Me, I roll over and grab my phone. And that's the voice that I hear first often. And I'm so convicted by it, right? Because that voice is not truth. Whatever it is, Facebook, news, crypto. I've been checking my crypto lately, thanks to Ben. Uh, but... Uh, whatever it is, it's not the Bible, right? And it's not truth. And so I need to retrain uh, because we all will have voices that we're listening to. These might include a school of thought, a leader, a charismatic personality, uh, um, a demon from the past or a past pain. These all influence our perspective for the day. And prayer is so needed. I was working at a local ministry here in Portland several years ago. And I had committed to a year-long contract, if you will, within this organization. And upon exiting the organization, there was tons of accusations that I had somehow let the ministry down, or I had somehow not performed well enough for the ministry, or I somehow had not done what I had said I'd, I was going to do for this ministry. And often that voice still today becomes a voice of guilt, of shame, of misunderstanding, of not adding up to Christ or not doing well enough. And I'm reminding that the only place where I personally can reconcile that is in prayer. It's not my wife's problem. It's not my kid's problem. It's not the ministry leader's problem. It's not anything outside it is all inside when i feel those feelings of shame or guilt or doubt to me it's reconciled in prayer god i feel this way my normal response is not jesus like i want to respond jesus like here's what you say about it in your word now allow me to respond so the connection of prayer and community, and often that comes out when I pray, right? And, and my wife and my family will listen to my prayer and be like, are you okay? And so that community prayer is so vital to that as well. And that's what we see happening um, here in Acts 2. One of my favorite parts of Acts 2 is the unity of mission, the shared story, the purpose Right? We see this in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. How many times in your life were all your friends, all your coworkers, everything around you, you had all things in common? Yeah, I can, I can think of maybe a, two times, maybe. Maybe, and that's a stretch, right? But they had all things in common. Their stories were overlapping. Their purpose, their mission, their desires, their unity, everything compelled them to a togetherness, to a life-on-life -life perspective. God has been unfolding his story since the beginning of time. We believe that we are participants in that story, right? We are. We, we're here today. We're together. And our only hope for redemption and restoration from our fears and prideful rebellion is when, by faith, we submit our lives to that story. And that's what we're seeing here in Acts 2. They had all submitted their lives to that story. Therefore, we have to, re, we have to regularly reacquaint ourselves and submit ourselves to that story by interacting with God's word. We look for ways and, and times to tell the story often. We also take time to listen to other stories and lead them to submit their lives to God's story. 
They were shared. They were purposeful. They were committed to one another. God has given believers the joint responsibility of telling the world about the good news of Christ's work on earth. Matthew 4.19 says it this way, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This applies so brilliantly to the story. So I'm originally from Seattle area, city slicker. <clears throat> my, my parents uh, were, were uh, well acquainted with the city life, did a great job raising me. But we were um, chosen to plant a church in southern Oregon, rural southern Oregon. And we moved down there. Yeah, you can chuckle. It's, it's different culture. You get south of Eugene, it's a different culture, friends. And we were down there, and for the first probably two and a half years, I was not even considered a man. So I would ask these friends, where do I go fishing? How do I become a man? And they would send me, I kid you not, to all the fishing holes where nobody was at. And over time, I'm like, hey, friends, these aren't the right holes, are they? There's no fish, nobody. And it took two and a half years, I think it was, or three years, there was, there was, a, there was a distinctive mark in my storyline down there where one of my coworkers, <clears throat> I worked at a, a retailer, uh, pulled me aside and said, I will teach you how to tie a fish hook. And so he spent time tying fish hooks. No, you're not ready. He used to pull them apart. Back to the basics. No, this isn't ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. And sure enough, once I became equipped, he, said, he told me, go to this spot in the river, and literally it was like five minutes away from where I worked. Told me exactly where to throw my line. Told me exactly where to go. And sure enough, within minutes, fish on. And this is the kind of thing that we learn when our stories are shared, right? They didn't think that my story was worthwhile. You're from Seattle, or you're from Salem, or you're from above Eugene. We don't even know those people, right? And it took time. It took connection. It took learning what they thought was valuable. And eventually, I became valuable enough to them to share my story. And after that, yeah, we went fishing together. We know all the spots now, <laughs> which I won't share. <laughs> but we know some spots down there to fish because of the storyline. It's the same with people. When we feel valued, when we feel connected, when we feel that our stories are intertwining to the greater story, we want to share that with each other. We want to live it out. We want to, to connect in a deep and understanding way. And that leads us to the fifth one. Blessing. Because if you're valuable to me, I want to share my resources. I want to share what God has given me, not out of, out of spite or conviction or or. Um, out of performance, but I value and care enough about your needs. Verse 45 there in Acts 2 says that, we, that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. How do we know what the needs are? Unless we hang out, unless we find each other valuable enough to, to pursue that. God desires that all people would be blessed through Jesus. And now as his body, we believe we live out of this mission as we bless others. We intentionally seek God's direction for who he would have us tangibly bless. I call it the four T's, right? Time, treasures, testimonies, and talents. All of us have been given those four T's. Some of us have time. Some of us have a great story that would really encourage someone's heart. Some of us have treasures. They had land that they were selling. 
And then some of us have talents. I'm thankful for the talents in this room. If I picked up that guitar right now, it would hurt people's ears. But we're working on it. <laughs> ben is my guitar instructor. So <clears throat> he has heard many of my screeching and my <laughs> dishonoring noises to God. But we're working on that. And it's brilliant to share those talents. When we believe that all we have is from God's gracious hand, gifts given not due to our own work, then we selflessly share what we have for the sake of others, leading us to acts of service, sacrifice, and love. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Bible Project, but I would really encourage you to watch their videos on generosity. There's this idea of, of generosity versus scarcity or abundance versus scarcity. And honestly, I didn't realize how much I wrestled with it until I watched some of those videos. And there is things that we have been given by Christ that we can freely give, that we can, we can hand out generously, even if we think we don't have anything. And it really helped me through the Bible Project to kind of recognize some of those things. And I think it's, they're probably like four or five minute videos. Generally, the Bible Project, that's kind of what they are. But well worth your time to watch their, their video on generosity or listen to their podcast on abundance versus scarcity. I think we have more than what we think we have. And it might not be just always treasures. I work for a nonprofit of Gosling Fundraising, and, and it's, it seems like I have to filter this out, right? Like, do I look at people with dollar signs in their eyes? No, right? No way. No, how far would that get me? Right? But I look at their heart, and what is God calling them to do? What is, what is the, the intention? Obviously, we see in Acts here that they're selling their possessions and they're disturbing the proceeds. But how many of them really had land? What was some of the other talents given? What was some of the other shared experiences? Somebody had to host them. Somebody might have had a house. Somebody might have had food. Someone had other resources, right, that they shared. Um, but it's creating that creativity. And I still, I think my kids do this often better than I when it comes to creative thinking on what we have. You know, and they'll run across the street and distribute an extra pizza or something. I'm like, where'd that come from? Ah, oh, the freezer, Dad. You know, and they just get this understanding of purity, of shared experience. And so, um, yeah, I think we have an abundance. And we can give out of that abundance, whatever that is. Um, and then the last one, the six, eating together, right? Obviously, this is one of my favorite. They gave us this day, our daily bread. Um, it's part of the Lord's Prayer. It's part of the model that Jesus had for us, right? He was all about his first miracle, right? I love one of the authors that I read um, did a two, two chapters on putting us in the place of the character in the Bible. So whether it was like David and Goliath, I would be David and then there would be a Goliath. Or whether it's the wedding feast, we would be the people in the wedding feast. Or whether it's the bleeding lady, um, I would be the bleeding lady. And so he kind of just puts us in character. And I love how Jesus' first miracle was wrapped around a wedding feast. And the, the holistic reconciliation because back then, if you didn't have enough wine, you would have been disgraced. Your family would have been disgraced. You may not have the same uh, perspective in the community as you walked about and, and, and shopped in the marketplace. So all of that was restored by one celebration. And Jesus models this eating pattern throughout. Let's stop. Let's eat. Let's, let's look at the fig trees and let's have a parable or a thought or a story behind it. The meals are a daily reminder of our common need for God and His faithfulness to provide both physically and spiritually. How many of you have already eaten today? 
Yeah, right? <laughs> Most of us grab breakfast or something or a snack along the way. It is. It's a reminder that he does take care of our details. Jesus called us to remember him and his sacrifice for us through a meal. When we eat together, we commune around his truth. Do you regularly eat meals with those not in your immediate family or circle or close friends? I was really convicted by that question as I read it this week. Discipling them toward a life of dependence on God. And if we are, great. And if we aren't, why? Why aren't we sharing meals? And what are those hurdles? And obviously today there is many, many hurdles versus yesterday. But can we overcome those hurdles? Can we think creatively? Can we, we, um, we even overlooked our, normally we host a, a community, uh, we have an HOA with about 128 homes and we host a community uh, day where we bring food and, and often food trucks or um, some type of fun activity. And we didn't even do that this year. Why? Why didn't we do that? What are the variables? Um, and so if not this year, what about next year? If not today, what about tomorrow? And how can we prepare for those? So I was going to tell you what the impact of Acts 2.42 was. And the result of these six things lived out in Acts 22, or 2.42. The result of this preaching was truly amazing. This life concept, these six things lived out. The church grew from 120 people to over 3,000 people. So I didn't do the ratio, but I probably should have. But if, if that's even a 100 to 300 ratio, and we whittled it down to those of us in this room, and we each practice these habits of everyday discipleship. That could fill this room in a month, in two months, in three months. Obviously, it takes time. The average conversation in Portland right now around things of Jesus with somebody yet to believe in Jesus is about seven to eight years. So it's the recognizing that it doesn't have to be 100 to 300 tomorrow. But the seeds are for today. The habits are for today. How we live these out in our own circles of influence are for today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in one of my favorite books from him, Life Together, describes it as this. Community is not something attained, but created through the mutual love and respect for its members. Community is not something attained, but created. Each of you have a valuable characteristic, have a valuable insight, have a valuable opportunity to create a community that is so magnetic, it draws people to Christ. I'll close with this thought, also from Dietrich. A Christian fellowship, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother or sister for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he or she causes me. His face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me at once is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ or sister for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. I pray this over and over and over for my neighbors, for those around me. We had an issue with our neighbors through summer that there was solid base nonstop from like six to nine every night. 
and I became really grumpy over it. And it, and it, it would just, you know, the, the constant throbbing in my head because of the bass. But this is the challenge, right? That not only he and my neighbor be transformed, but that I would be transformed. That the countenance of my brother would be that which who Christ died for. And that would be my posture towards him. That's the community I want to be a part of and need. And that's the community that I want to help move forward. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the church in Acts here. We thank you that you have given us some tangible ways of living out everyday discipleship. The question for us today is how will we make these discipleship patterns habitual? Father, give us opportunity, give us conviction, give us time management give us each other that we would share life on life that we would share community that we would share our bread that we would share our time our talents our treasures and our testimonies around who you are today Your name. thank you so much for listening we'd love to hear how God is working in your life you can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.